Mama, I'm really sorry. Forgive me. El chamaco capi un saco bien caco en la pela. Se fue el musal y corre. Se tiró pa torre. Corrió por todo Ramos y Caldo y Manuela. Agua Villa Palmera. Llevale flor y abuela. This is reggaeton. It's been a global dance juggernaut for years, thanks to huge hits like Despacito or Gasolina. But as this musical style continues to dominate the charts, it also grows farther and farther apart from its Afro-Caribbean origins and from a history of aggressive censorship and criminalization. In fact, considering reggaeton's status today, it's hard to believe that this music was once literally persecuted by police. But we'll get to that in a moment. Hello, Georges Collinet with you on Afropop Worldwide from PRX. This edition, reggaeton and race. We start with Fly Away by Puerto Rican rapper Don Omar, featuring Inner Circle. Don Omar is one of the few black mainstream performers in reggaeton, and in this song, he raps about the hardships of growing up poor and black in San Juan, Puerto Rico. This is how reggaeton as we know it today, was born. And it didn't take long before there were attempts to kill it. Producer Luis Lopez brings us the story. There are few moments that capture the recording industry's view of reggaeton as precisely as the 2019 Latin Grammy Awards held last November. Despite being one of the largest and most commercially successful musical genres, reggaeton had absolutely no representation in the awards' top categories and was merely relegated to the Urbano section of the ceremony. This sparked protests by several artists who criticized this decision, sharing the hashtag Sin Reggaeton No Hay Latin Grammy. There's no Latin Grammy without reggaeton. One of the few reggaetoneros to win an award that night was Puerto Rican superstar Bad Bunny, who took home Best Urban Album for his 2018 release Por Siempre. In his acceptance speech on stage, Bad Bunny made it clear to the Recording Academy that he did not agree with their position. A todos los músicos, a toda la gente que pertenece a la academia, con todo respeto, el reggaetón es parte de la cultura latina y está representando, al igual que otros muchos géneros musicales, a nivel mundial a los latinos. What he says to the Academy is that reggaeton is an essential part of Latin culture, that it represents Latinos worldwide. And while it's a genre that's simply too large and popular to ignore, it has historically lacked recognition by governments and cultural institutions, and has constantly been censored, policed, and monitored. And this goes way beyond award shows. You have this genre of music that is incredibly popular, driving streaming, driving a lot of Latin music sales, driving the sound of contemporary Latin pop, right? that is totally being sort of ignored by this ceremony. This is Petra Rivera Rideau. I'm assistant professor of American studies at Wellesley College. She is also the author of the book Remixing Reggaeton, The Cultural Politics of Race in Puerto Rico. And she actually starts her book by setting the scene at another Latin Grammy Award ceremony, the one held in 2005, a year when reggaeton was starting to garner international success 
with songs like Daddy Yankee's hit Gasolina. At that ceremony, where reggaeton artists were also snubbed, a group of some of the genre's top voices, performing under the name Los Doce Discípulos, all rapped over a salsa sample to the beat of Eddie D's Quítate Tú Pa' Ponerme Yo. This performance was particularly powerful because it gathered many of reggaeton's stars, Eddie D, Daddy Yankee, and Evie Queen, among others, to essentially shout, step aside, we've had enough. One of the things that's interesting about the 2005 Latin Grammys is that even if reggaeton artists are not really being acknowledged in the awards, they're very present in the show as performers because they're very popular and because, you know, that's who's going to view it, right? I think that the problems go real deep. They're not about the Latin Grammys, but they're about much deeper questions around racism, classism, stuff like that. Keep in mind that at this point, reggaeton had been gaining popularity for several years, but had also lived through two recent overt attempts by the Puerto Rican government to put a lid on it. To understand this, we have to go back to the 1990s. Let's have Evie Queen herself take us back with her 1996 track, Tengo Autoridad Para Decidir, for the reggaeton collective, The Noise. And notice the key line she sings here. We're rappers, but not delinquents. Evie Queen is arguably the most influential female reggaeton artist, and she has been performing it since before it was even called reggaeton. In those early years, this music was simply known as Puerto Rican underground, and it was mainly consumed in Puerto Rico's working-class public housing projects, called caserios. Back then, the genre was a mix of Jamaican reggae and dancehall, Panamanian reggae and espanol, and American rap and hip-hop, brought to the island by Puerto Ricans who lived in New York. It was working class. It was a lot of people on the blacker end of the spectrum. Uh, youth, right? 
people who were living in segregated public housing developments, right, that they were at the forefront of this music and the voice and the image of this music that was really sort of counteracting this idea of a you know whitened, racially mixed Puerto Rican subject, the hibaro from the country who's you know, lives this kind of authentic country Puerto Rican life that's not influenced or impacted by foreign or, you know, U.S. influence. And so I think that narrative, that framing of reggaeton is something that's fundamentally foreign, sort of follows a much bigger narrative where blackness that does not fit this narrative of the racial triad is also considered fundamentally foreign. The racial triad. The idea that Puerto Rico, like many Latin American nations, traces its roots to three peoples, the Spanish conquerors, the indigenous natives, and the enslaved Africans. But although this social construct has elements of truth, one key consequence of it is that the African root is often portrayed in a very limited way, as a folkloric blackness that always caters to the colonial hierarchy rather than as a living community that's influenced not only by its African ancestors, but by other Afro-diasporas from the U.S. and around the Caribbean. Reggaeton did not fit neatly into this racial triad, and was therefore viewed by the government as an external imposition, as fundamentally dangerous. And this led to the Iron Fist Against Crime initiative. But before we get into that, Let's set the scene with rapper Eddie D's 1997 track, Señor Oficial. Señor Oficial, déjeme cantar mi canción. Señor Oficial, déjeme ser como yo soy. Señor Oficial, comprenda justicia hace tiempo la cosa que yo hago hoy. Señor Oficial, no diga que soy un ladrón. Señor Oficial, tampoco que soy un matón. Señor Oficial, no diga que soy un cantante que lo hace de corazón. Señor Oficial, venga quiero hablarle y decirle. Lo que yo pienso y no voy a mentirle Pues quiero que me explique en esta conversación El por qué personas juzgan a los otros sin razón Señor oficial, por qué los suyos persiguen A los raperos que en tarimas se exhiben Estamos en el party y lo mandan a pagar Sin saber que estoy cantando para mi madre ayudar ¿Y por qué? Porque si voy para la esquina me quieren voltear Si voy al caserío se creen que voy a comprar Si salto en mi carro usted me manda a parar Porque prendo el equipo o me ve con celular That's Eddie D with Señor Oficial, a song that questions the police's racial profiling of rappers and consumers of this music. He sings, why are you silencing the rappers on stage? Why won't you let me earn a living with my music to help my mother out? And he's being very literal here. In the early 1990s, the Puerto Rican government launched the Iron Fist Against Crime campaign, known in Spanish as Mano Dura Contra el Crimen. This campaign heavily policed the working-class caseríos, with frequent raids to confiscate drugs, weapons, and underground music. Think about that. This music was perceived to be just as dangerous as drugs and weapons, and Petra says it was treated just as aggressively. That was about like preventing this music from expanding outside of this audience it had already had, and part of a larger anti-crime initiative that really was targeting urban Black working-class populations in a very violent way. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the occupation of public housing by the U.S. National Guard. I mean, it, it was a very militarized and violent thing. Estoy molesto por todas 
la cosa que estoy viendo Como la droga y la gente que hoy está muriendo Pero también me enfada escuchar gente diciendo Que es culpa de nosotros lo que está sucediendo This initiative eventually ended, but the sentiment towards reggaeton and the people who listen to it lingered. Señor Oficial is one of the most famous songs to protest this particular moment in time in Puerto Rico, and the general attitudes towards the darker-skinned working-class population. But it is by no means the only one. In fact, the reggaeton artist most famous for both vocally expressing black pride and denouncing racism in his lyrics is Tego Calderón. Let's listen to one of his classic tracks, El Lavallarde. This is Tego Calderón's El Avallarde from the 2002 album of the same name. In fact, his nickname is El Avallarde, which is a Puerto Rican term for a red ant with a notoriously painful sting. Many of Tego Calderón's songs not only acknowledge racial discrimination, but they specifically question this notion of the racial triad. This was of particular interest to Puerto Rican social worker Maria de los Ángeles Vargas. She was part of a research project aimed at understanding the influence that two Afro-Puerto Rican artists, Tego Calderón and salsa legend Ismael Rivera, have had on youth who live in regions with a more prominent African heritage. And to do this, the team played songs by both musicians to children and teenagers. One of the questions we asked them was, given your social experience, the way society builds you and your worldview, how do you feel when you listen to this song? And in the songs, they were able to identify things that happened to them. For example, they will say, if they see me, a black kid, they assume I'm going to steal something. I feel discriminated and bullied. And in Puerto Rico, people will say, no, there's no racism here. But there is. There is racism, and it's an internalized racism. A lot of these kids told me that they had actually seen Tego, because Tego visits these places often, and he has given them advice. He's told them to behave. Tego is a person who's very close to these communities. Tego has had an incredibly successful career touring the world, yet he remains close to marginalized Puerto Rican youth. He's a role model to them, and so his work defies what the Iron Fist Against Crime attempted to do. Far from criminalizing these kids, he listens to them and shows them empathy. And while Maria's research project was originally going to focus on youth, she quickly found out that this music's reach spans more than one generation. We wanted to work with focus groups, but when people in the community heard about what we were doing, the room was suddenly full of people. So then instead of having focus groups, we ended up moderating a massive community conversation. And I think that was the most relevant outcome of this project, how we had older women and young boys together, and it was very interesting. I think that the best thing to come out of that was this generational and community exchange. All right, El Abayarde by Tego Calderon on reggaeton and race. 
featuring our newest producer on Afropop Worldwide, Luis Lopez. Back to you, Luis. There you have it. Reggaeton, or at least Tego Calderón's reggaeton, has the power to bring communities together. And one of the communities that Maria worked with on this project was located in Loiza, a city on the northeastern coast of Puerto Rico, and the area with the highest concentration of Afro-Puerto Ricans in the island. It is also a bastion of Afro-Puerto Rican arts and culture, and Tego pays homage to the city in one of his most iconic songs, his track Loisa. Ando sin prisa, pero tú le estás y tú me coleriza. Y es que no bregan con Loisa. No, no, brega. Me quiere hacer pensar que soy parte de una trilogía racial donde todo el mundo es igual. Sin trato especial, soy perdonal. Es que tú que no te sabes disculpar. No sé cómo justifica tanto mal. Es que tu historia es vergonzosa, entre otras cosas. Cambiaste la cadena por esposa. No todos somos iguales en términos legales. Y eso está probado en los tribunales. En lo claro, la justicia se tiene con cascajo. Oye, por eso estamos como estamos. and resistance. The lyrics address issues like disproportionate incarceration of black people in the line, you switch the chains for handcuffs, or the complexity of racial inequality in the phrase, those black folks who think they're better because of their professions, or because they have the facial features of their oppressors. And it severely questions the educational system that perpetuates the myth of the racial triad, where everyone is treated equally and racism does not exist. And under all these lyrics, there's a sample of a bomba rhythm running through the entire track. 
Dr. Barbara Abadía Rexach, a professor of Afro-Latinidades in the Department of Latina and Latino Studies at San Francisco State University, says the use of this bomba sample is a very conscious and political choice. La gente que hace bomba en Puerto Rico, en general, son familias, son los elders, ¿verdad? Los ancianos. People who perform bomba in Puerto Rico are generally families, elders, people who are visibly black. And bomba is a rhythm that is associated with blackness. But we know that bomba is not treated like other genres. We find that there are whole processes of whitening, certain negotiations that have to be made to reach certain spaces and to be able to commercialize this music. And the same thing happens with reggaeton. If we think about reggaeton's origin, it has a black origin. It comes from marunage, from enslavement. But who are the main voices in the genre? Pero quiénes son los principales exponentes del género, verdad? This is a fundamental point. While the origins of reggaeton are unquestionably black, many of its most successful current performers are white or light-skinned. And as the genre's icons become whiter, they are less in touch with the struggles that artists like Tego and Eddie D rap about. And this has particular consequences in the wake of this year's Black Lives Matter protests, sparked by the murder of George Floyd. Colombian singer Carol G, for example, was heavily criticized after posting a picture on Twitter, just a few days after Floyd was killed, of her black and white spotted dog with the message, this is a perfect example that black and white look beautiful together. And just a few days after that, Puerto Rican singer Coscuyuela sparked controversy after claiming that black Puerto Ricans weren't really black. And so that makes you think. But the music that has made you a millionaire is music that has a black origin, isn't it? Then how can you say that in Puerto Rico our black heritage is not African? And that for that reason we're not supposed to get involved with Black Lives Matter? Fortunately, not all reggaeton artists were that tone deaf. In June, Puerto Rican rapper Rafa Pavón denounced police brutality in his track Sinaide. Yeah, check. <clears throat> yeah. Soy culpable de mi pelo rizo y de mis labios gruesos. Si se negro un crimen, llévenme preso. Mientras no haya justicia, la ley nunca tendrá peso. Habrá violencia siempre que la opresión justifique eso. Le temo más un policía que un criminal. No llega el aire para respirar el señor oficial. La verdadera pandemia, el discrimen racial. Si tienen mil y vueltas porque el aire me quiere quitar. A nombre de Eric Garden, Michael Brown, George Floyd, Freddy Gray. Sin justicia no hay ley. That's Sinaide by Rafa Pavón, a short but powerful message of solidarity with victims of police shootings in the U.S. And the video complements the song's intensity, showing Rafa rapping as he's pinned down to the ground with a knee to his neck. 
However, songs like these are an exception in the mainstream reggaeton scene, rather than a rule. In contemporary reggaeton, blackness is often performed and channeled aesthetically. The clothing, the hairstyles, the speech. But by having a very superficial idea of what blackness is, Barbara says, its cultural objects get diluted and lose their meaning. That's why I say there is a debt that a lot of performers hold by not knowing the origins of these processes. And it would be great if people understood the diversity and these Afro-knowledges. Who would have thought, for example, that cornrows on your hair were maps to show how we escaped, where we were going, and how to store seeds? And suddenly, they style their hair like this, and they have a very exotic look. They are told it's cultural appropriation, and they find that annoying. So I think it's important to talk about these things more, to get out of that ignorance, which is also part of the process of racialization. The less we know, the better. It isn't convenient to know that the people who were enslaved were enslaved precisely because they had so much knowledge, because they were strong. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had to be in chains. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had to be mixed with people from other ethnicities so they couldn't communicate. And speaking of racializations, there is one more that applies specifically to black women. And to understand it, we need to go back in time again. Remember that there were two major campaigns that policed reggaeton? The first one, as we saw, was Iron Fist against crime in the 90s. But the second one started in 2002, when conservative Puerto Rican Senator Velda González launched an anti-pornography campaign and heavily targeted reggaeton for its hypersexuality and objectification of women. Unlike the first campaign, the goal of this one wasn't to completely get rid of reggaeton, but rather to clean it up. And the thing is, reggaeton does indeed have major issues with the way it represents women, and they should be criticized. But to focus solely and so intently on these problems, Barbara says, is to put the blame on reggaeton and its performers, rather than on the society that originated these problems in the first place. It's like the state is washing its hands of its responsibility in the educational process, in the examples we have in politics, etc. It's a lot easier to say something like, look at what this guy is singing or talking about. So I think that limiting the discussion of reggaeton to this and continuing to criminalize it for this is another form of racialization. Because racialization is not only about race, but about other things like class and gender. And so it's basically like saying, women have nothing to say. And I feel that while it's true that some women may be manipulated and may be treated as sexual objects, there are others who are performing very consciously, very much because they want to show their bodies. So there is an issue here that comes to mind about thinking of the power that women have in this conversation. Criticism of reggaeton has long been in the habit of accusing the genre of promoting misogynistic ideas and of shaming women who perform or consume it. Unfortunately, 
where most criticism falls short, Barbara says, is in actually paying attention to the women at the forefront of the genre. We listened to Evie Queen near the beginning of the show, so let's close this first part with La Sista, a black Puerto Rican reggaeton artist from Loisa who mixes this style of music with other Afro-Caribbean sounds. Let's listen to her track, Yemaya. Listening to Yemaya by La Sista on a special edition of Afropop Worldwide, Reggaeton and Race. Coming up, we'll dive into other lesser known but equally rich musical derivatives of reggaeton, Reparto and Bacoso from Cuba, and Dembo from the Dominican Republic. Hey, don't forget to visit afropop.org for a video playlist with more examples of the musical styles in this episode. I am Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRX. In the first part of our program, we focused on reggaeton in Puerto Rico, but now we explore how the music has developed elsewhere in the Caribbean. And for that, we'll take a short trip to Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. And once again, producer Luis Lopez takes the story from here. Because it's born out of so many sonic influences, it's not surprising that reggaeton has been so appealing worldwide, especially throughout Latin America. And there are fascinating cultural reasons behind the ways that this music is performed in each country. But before we go anywhere else, let's stay in Puerto Rico just a little more and play one of reggaeton's largest 2020 hits. Rest assured, this will make sense soon enough. 
Let's listen to Yo Perreo Sola by Bad Bunny. Antes tú me pichaba, tú me pichaba. Ahora yo picheo. Antes tú no querías. Ahora yo no quiero. Antes tú me pichaba. Ahora yo picheo. Antes tú no querías. Ahora yo no quiero. No, tranqui, yo perreo sola. se le pegue la disco se prende cuando ella llegue a los hombres los tienes de hobby una marquilla como Nairobi y tú la ves bebiendo de la botella los nenes y las nenas quieren con ella tiene más de 20 me enseñó la cédula This, of course, is Bad Bunny with Yo Perreo Sola, widely regarded as reggaeton's latest feminist anthem. The song's essential message is she can dance and be sexy on her own, and that's not an invitation to anyone for anything else. If she wants you, she'll call you, and if she doesn't, just leave her alone. The song is powerful enough on its own, but things get even more interesting in the video where Bad Bunny performs most of the song in drag. His playful approach to gender representation was a topic of many discussions about breaking boundaries and defying the genre's deeply rooted machismo. And while the message is clearly positive, it was often framed as something completely groundbreaking. A lot of people automatically ascribe him as a queer icon or someone that represents a community or someone that's doing all this work and that is false and that is detrimental to the actual queer artists who are out there you know in very precarious positions people who put their selves and their identities on the line right this is veronica davila ellis a postdoctoral fellow in the latin american and latinx studies program at smith college their research focuses on analyzing Dominican rap and dembo music through the lens of gender. Veronica recognizes the importance of a hugely popular artist questioning traditional gender norms this way, as well as using his platform to vocally support trans rights. The issue, they argue, is that all this attention goes to an already incredibly successful lighter-skinned male artist, when both he and the media outlets that focus so much on him could direct their attention to musicians especially to black and brown musicians, who have already been tackling these subjects for a while. And this is where Dominican Dembo comes in. So let's first get an idea of what it sounds like. This is Dominican rapper El Alfa with his track Guaremate de por Vida. Guaremate de por vida, 
guaremate de polvida, guaremate de polvida, guaremate de polvida, guaremate de polvida, guaremate de polvida. Ustedes tienen caseta lo que yo digo. Guaremate de polvida, 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 guaremate de polvida. Aquí estamos viejos que me tiran, no están en mi side, sin hablar con los dientes de amante, le mete la mai, mai, dicta, vaina que me quilla. A ustedes les duele ver como que el alfa brilla, te cubriendo, lo mercado no va abriendo. También la estamos abriendo No me junto contigo Porque tú eres muy bruto En tarima yo cobro mil dólares el minuto Tú me graduaste De guaremata 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 Guaremata de por vida 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 Ustedes tienen caseta Lo que yo digo Guaremata de por vida Dembo is has the sort of a basic dancehall beat accelerated to I think 115 BPMs while reggaeton stays in 85 to 90. So what we call the Dembo beat in reggaeton, you accelerate it, then it becomes Dominican Dembo, right? And then there's other elements, sort of like a repetitive shout or sigh in the in the beat, um, a lot of play with words. So, just to clear things up, Dembo is the basic beat under many reggaeton songs. But it is also the name of this newer Dominican genre. And Veronica says that along with all the musical differences, there's one cultural element that makes it more welcoming to historically underrepresented communities. Dembo is now starting to be mainstream, but Dembo is extremely marginal. It was heard only in particular barrios in the Dominican Republic and some rural areas. And I think like the fact that they're just so marginal and outlawing allowed for a lot of marginal identities to seep into it, even if all society is still homophobic. The term Dembo comes from Jamaican dancehall DJ Shaba Ranks's song Dembo, which features the beat that reggaeton was built on. And a rather nice irony is that while this song originally had a homophobic message, that message was lost in translation as Spanish language artists started to play around with this music. And now there is a Dominican genre called Dembo that is much more welcoming to LGBTQ performers than other Caribbean musical styles. And let's listen to one of these performers. This is La Delphi with the track Mariquiqui. Wiki, 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 wiki
Pero tú sabemos que tú eres mariquiqui Me da wiki, 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 This is Marikiki by La Delphi, who unfortunately died earlier this year. An openly gay rapper known for his use of innuendo, La Delphi was a prominent figure in the LGBTQ dembo scene in Santo Domingo. According to Veronica, the Dominican Republic was fertile territory for a scene like this to emerge, both because dembo is a relatively small and new genre compared to reggaeton, and because one of the nation's most popular musical genres, bachata, has a long history of playing with sentimentality in men. But while in bachata that sentimentality often translates to toxic masculinity, in dembo this same masculinity is subverted into an empowering message. Of course, homophobia still exists in the Dominican Republic, but Veronica says that these musicians, many of them darker skinned and from a working class background, have been role models for LGBTQ youth who relate to them. It has given queer youth sort of like, oh, wait, we can actually openly engage with this genre and we can carve spaces where we can listen to this music, right? So so if there is some sort of way that, you know, organizers and young people are finding this music and these performances productive to visibilize, then we are progressing in a way, right? And that is something that is very slow in reggaeton. So that's Dominican Dembo. But what's going on in Cuba? Well, it turns out they have their own invigorating scene there, one with a story that echoes the origins of reggaeton in San Juan. The word here that a lot of, that gets used a lot there is um, uh, reparto. This is Wayne Marshall. I'm a musicologist, and I teach music history at Berklee College of Music in Boston. Wayne is also co-editor of the book Reggaeton, and he's talking about reparto, a form of reggaeton that blends with Cuba's own African roots. The word reparto in Cuba means neighborhood, and in this context often refers to the working-class housing projects that originate this music. Initially, that term becomes associated with some of these areas in Havana that are also thought of as black and lower class because there were there was a kind of state pension, you know, that you'd get your welfare check, essentially. But reparto also then becomes a proud identity, you know, uh, of those who live there, like barrio or like ghetto. Or like caserío, linking it back to Puerto Rico. And initially, what's interesting about this genre is that it has slowly drifted away from the dembo beat 
and towards the Cuban rumba clave rhythm. Let's listen to an example by one of Reparto's most famous artists, rapper Chocolate MC. This is his track Frito en Ti. coming out of Havana. But on the other side of the island, in Santiago, there's another scene with a similar sound, but a different story. Santiago is the home of Bacoso, a style born out of the mix between reggaeton, Cuban rhythms, and contemporary Afropop from West Africa. And this mix is unique for a particularly fascinating reason. It sounds a lot more like like Afrobeats. 
And the story there is that this sound actually is coming from Afrobeats, it's coming from the contemporary sounds of Nigeria, Ghana, Angola, because there are um, medical students from those countries living in Cuba and bringing their music with them. Wayne says not everyone agrees with that theory. There are those who say this music is simply resurfacing deep Afro-Indigenous music from Cuba in a contemporary context. But it's definitely possible that both of these are true to some extent. In fact, there's a 2019 documentary titled Bakoso, which explores this story. Let's listen to the title track from that film, a song also called Bakoso by Oscaro Delgado featuring Cameroon Cuba. and Cameroon Cuba. What's most appealing about this story, and what the documentary argues, is that it goes against the narratives mentioned near the beginning of this episode regarding the racial triad. 
It's one more piece of evidence that Afro-diasporas influence each other, that Afro-Cuban and other Afro-Latin populations continue to connect to Africa long after the end of enslavement. Wayne says that hip-hop was originally seen as an American cultural imposition in Cuba, but was later more widely accepted as ideologically compatible with the island's revolutionary politics, as a vehicle for social criticism. Initially, music like Bacoso might not seem political in nature, because it isn't always overtly critical, but it is in fact political simply by existing, by being unapologetically joyful, in spite of every attempt to silence it. You know, a lot of times reggaeton gets a bad rap relative to rap or hip hop because rap and hip hop are seen as sort of politically progressive in certain ways. And reggaeton seems to always just be about, you know, sex and partying. And yet, you know, dancing in reggaeton can be seen as political because you're rejecting whatever it might be, nationalist or, or, or class, you know, mores or ideas about decorum and, you know, how one should conduct oneself and, and be a good docile citizen or something like that. Because you could have a party song that injects a line of politics, you know, or you could have a political song that you want to bump along to. Aunque 
De Moda by Tego Calderon. We had to go back to Tego to close our program today. As Calderon says in the song, no matter how much people attack it, reggaeton won't go out of style. <laughs> Funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art, and from PRX affiliate stations around the U.S. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. Additional funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from the World Music Method. Learn tribal fingerstyle guitar, Brazilian rhythms, Congolese bass, Latin American folk, Hindustani slide, and desert blues. The ultimate learning experience, worldmusicmethod.com. That's worldmusicmethod.com. And from Womex, the showcase, seminar, and marketplace for world and roots music, October 27 to the 31st in Porto, Portugal. More information at womex.com. Thanks to Petra Rivera Rido, Barbara Abadia Reshak, Maria de Los Angeles Vargas, Veronica Davila Ellis, and Wayne Marshall for their help with this program. Thanks also to Aide Soto and Aurora Levy for their help dubbing Spanish language interviews. And don't forget to visit afropop.org for a video playlist with more examples of the different musical styles explored in this program. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at AfropopWW. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Luis Lopez. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast, including radio programs and our Afropop Close-Up podcast series. And don't forget to join us next week for another edition of Afropop Worldwide. Our chief audio engineer is Michael Jones. This program was mixed at Studio 44 in Brooklyn by Michael Jones. Banning Air and C.C. Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our director of new media is Ben Richmond, and I'm Georges Collinet. <laughs> Pa' los pinochos del brand reggae Yo lo que suelto es mazuca, pa' que se lampa